0: All right, let's get into James. We are in lesson number 10 of James. We're coming into the last chapter, and Lord willing, we've got uh, maybe one or two more lessons to to cover in James. Uh, Obviously, it is loaded, loaded, loaded. We're talking about everyday believer stuff. James is helping us out on what it means to live for Christ. Today, we're going to talk about the idea of the judge is standing at the door. All right, so a little bit of review from last Sunday. Uh, So James has got this unique perspective on Jesus, Anybody know what James's relationship is to Jesus? What, what is it? He's his half-brother, right? They, they share the same mother. James is the son of Joseph and Mary. Uh, so he grew up with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? But he didn't become a follower of Jesus until after the resurrection. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? But it's obvious that James was a, James was a sold-out follower of Jesus. It's obvious. He, he believed Jesus. He followed Jesus. And one of the things that makes it real obvious is in this letter that he writes, he, he alludes to what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, 7, over 20 times in these five short chapters. I mean, time after, we're going to see some of it today, time after time, he, he refers back to those teachings that Jesus had, writes them to the people that he's trying to help. So last week in the latter half of chapter four of James, uh, we looked at this phrase called Lord willing. Everybody say Lord willing. We talked about putting that into our minds and to, to put that into our, our, our conviction that, you know, I, I, I will be there tomorrow, Lord willing. I will go and do this, Lord willing. And the idea is, is it's not that we're just learning a new phrase to create some more Christian language or Christian lingo. It's, it's that we're putting in mind that our lives are to be filtered through the plans and purposes and the will of God. That's what we're talking about, and I don't know how I missed it last week. I I just don't know how I missed it, but this idea, you know, we've got this idea right here. We know this this saying, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, you know, in fact, every Sunday, we're having church, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. As you know, the creek has risen several times since we've been here the last three years, so, and probably many times since you've been here in your lifetime. So Lord willing, so we're, we're, we're learning to be mindful of God, his will, and what he wants in any given situation. All right, so now we're going to segue into chapter five, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. Not going to be able to cover all the details, uh, but I pray you would put some thought to this throughout your week this week. All right, so verse number one, you ready? Come on, let's read together. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. He's going to get a little, little rough right here. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers you, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, fraud, they cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, and he does not resist you. Verse 7, to the believers, in spite of all this, therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. And seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. All right, let's ask the Lord to help us. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We just give it our attention this morning. We ask you just to help us to focus. We ask you to help us to listen uh, we give you our ear, Lord, and we just ask that you just empower us to hear what you are saying to us, your people. Thank you, Lord. Give us the strength we need, the grace we need to walk it out. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 So James says this through all of this, all this negative stuff that he's saying about all the rich folks. He, he's got something he wants all of us to keep in mind, whether you're believer or unbeliever, whether you're righteous or not righteous. James is giving us a truth that he wants us to keep close to our hearts. Remember, with the truth, we're, we're to filter everything through, Lord willing. Now, this is another truth. We, we're to filter all of our thoughts and days and our perspective through. This truth is mentioned three times in, this verse, in these short 12 verses. Three times. Verse 7, he says, the Lord is coming. The coming of the Lord is at hand in verse 8. And then in verse 9, he gives this real picturesque way to look at it all. The judge is standing at the door. Everybody say that with me. The judge is standing at the door. So this truth is going to be a warning to the unbelievers. Say, so, hey, you need to check yourself. There's something coming. There's somebody coming. But it's, it's on, on the flip side of the coin, it's a warning to believers, but it's, it's a hope. A warning to the unbelievers, but it's a hope to the believers. All right, so now look, think about this image right here. The judge is standing at the door. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus' grace and we talk a lot about his mercy. But he doesn't have to just let go of something that is spoken of throughout all the Testament, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament. He doesn't let go of the fact that he still is the judge of all creation. That Jesus is the judge of all men and women and all men and women who have ever lived. Young, old, rich, poor. Doesn't matter if you're the king. It doesn't matter if you're the, you're the peasant. It doesn't make any difference. Everybody will stand one day before the judge. And James says, I want you to keep in mind that the judge is standing at the door. Now, we're instructed to keep this at the forefront of our mind to realize that at any given time, the judge of our soul could step on the scene. If someone is at the door, what does that mean? If someone is at these sanctuary doors right here, what does that mean? They're about to come in. So there's this picture that we're to have about the coming of the Lord, that at any given moment, Jesus could make his appearance on the scene. Now for some, that's going to be a terrible day. For others, that's going to be a terrific day. But, but Jesus is standing at the door. We're to keep that possibility of the immediate return of Christ in our thoughts. And some would say, maybe skeptically, well, it's been 2,000 years. Really, preacher? You mean soon? That Jesus is to return soon? Well, that's the way he framed it up. That's the way he wants us to think about it. But, because you remember the, the stories in Matthew 24? The story of of the ten virgins that have the oil in their lamp and and five of them have enough oil to wait for the time of the wedding feast. Uh, The other five don't have enough oil in their lamp and the master of the wedding feast comes and the bridegroom comes and boom, they're left out. They weren't ready. And then then we got the parable of the talents that come right right in that same neighborhood. The parable of the talents. Be ready because God will come and see how, how you, you've spent your wealth, how you spent your life, how, you, how you've used your talents and resources and all that kind of thing. We are to be mindful because we don't know the day or the hour. So be ready. It's an old song we used to sing. Remember this old tune that said, Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah. Soon and very soon, we are going... Y'all remember that song? Y'all remember that old song? What's that? Andre Krauss, That's exactly right. Hey, he's one of my favorites. Uh, so how, how could God say, I'm coming soon or I'm standing at the door when it's been so long? Well, you got to understand this perspective about God. God's an eternal being. You know what time is to Him. It's nothing. He created time. I mean, that's, that, this, this kind of stuff will blow. He, he's, he's an eternal being, so time is, is very relative to him. It doesn't even matter. It's not like us. He's not aging. He's not getting older. He's not wondering if he can hang on till the, till the time comes. He, he, he is an eternal being. But unlike him, we are finite beings. We have a beginning and an end. so soon is the way God wants us to see it. Now, here's, here's the thought. Are these the last of the last days? Well, I, every preacher that's worth his salt would say yes. We believe that these are the last of the last days. The last days actually is a, is a time frame in the Bible that started when Jesus was crucified and resurrected. The last days started at that point in time. And we're living in the last days. But are these the last of the last days? Well, to be honest, we're, we're not sure, but I can promise you this. It's closer than it's ever been. It's closer than it's ever been. So, so these may or may not, we don't know. Jesus just said, be ready. Be ready because I'm coming. We may or may not be in the last of the last days. I don't know. I don't know. Where, there may be another thousand years of all this madness to endure. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. These are your only days. I know that much. Whether they're the last of the last days, prophetically, eschatologically eschatologically speaking. I'll get that word out in a minute. That's a big word. Don't try this at home. (laughs) Get your tongue in it tonight. (laughs) Are these the last of the last days? I don't know, but these are your and my only days. And this is going to be true of all of us. Either the king will come for you in the clouds, or he will come for you through the avenue of death. So, either the king will come or you will go. But we're all going to meet the king. We're all going to meet him. And I promise you, beloved, both of these events, his coming and your going, will be sooner than you think. I promise you. So, he hands out, in light of all this idea, the judge is standing at the door. The king is coming. He's coming and he's going to settle accounts. He gives a warning. As, as we just read, those, those first six verses, they were pretty tight. They were pretty pointed. It was, it was directed with, as a warning to the unbelievers, specifically the rich and the powerful. And the key thought that he wanted us to know, for all the folks that are maybe in charge and all the folks that think they pull the levers of power and the levers of time and, and they control all the things that are happening, he said, I want you to know one thing that's very important. It matters to God how you treat people. You know, to God, you know what the most precious thing He has? It's His people. He sent His Son to die for His people. He loves His people. He loves all people. And it matters to God how you treat them. So He speaks to these folks. And and it's like, are you one who empowers people and enriches them? Or are you one who oppresses and keeps your foot on What kind of person are you? That's what he's speaking about. Are you one who blesses others? Or are you one who tries to control and manipulate others out of, so you can gain out of their, their life and out of their labor? What kind of person are you? So James speaks direct, directly to the rich and the powerful of society. Now, who would this include? Well, it would include the politicians, the judges, the business owners, professional people, wealthy folks. What we may call the movers and the shakers in our communities. And he gives a stark warning. Now, what is their problem? Well, the problem is not the money. The problem is not the authority or the power or the influence. God wants to raise up people to have good influence on people. God wants to raise up people to be blessed. And In fact, Abraham, he told Abraham, I'll make you rich as any man ever lived. And Abraham was a wealthy man. God wants to impart wealth so that it can be used properly for the sake of his kingdom. The problem's not the money. The problem's not the power. The problem's in how you use it all, right? If I had a thousand dollars and I laid it here on the pulpit, you know that, that money is, is amoral. It, it doesn't, it, it's it's just there. It's just a thing. But how you pick up that thing and how you use that thing, that's what matters about that thing. Right? After all, Jesus is the wealthiest, wisest, most powerful person that ever lived. Amen. But how did he use it? How did he use all of his power? I mean, I mean you talking about Jesus being powerful and wealthy? I mean, I'm not talking about bank account. I'm talking about raising people from the dead. That's a wealthy man. That's a powerful man. So, so what about wealth? It all depends on how you use it. What about power? It all depends on how you use it, and the problem is most folks can't handle it. You know that. That's why God keeps most of us broke, because some of y'all just ain't got enough money to send like you want to. Lord help us, Jesus help us. Ain't that the truth? I, I like that prayer that's in Proverbs, that, that towards the end of Proverbs, where it says, "Lord, don't give me so much that I." I forsake your name and don't don't give me so little that I, I I rob and steal and become an immoral man, but just give me what I need to take care of what I need to take care of. That's that's a wonderful prayer. Not many people pray that prayer. <laughs> the prayers we pray are more like Lord, help me win that lottery. That's up to four hundred fifty-two million dollars now. Mm. See, most folks can't handle wealth or power without getting into pride and selfish ambition. Other serving other gods are mostly themselves. Most people with power and money get on power trips. You know about this kind of stuff, right? Hmm. And that's what James is speaking to. So he he tells all the folks who think they're in charge. He says, listen up. You you got it good now. The gravy train is good for you. It's good. But there's about to be a horrendous crash when it runs into God. Because here's why. The judge is standing at the door. You got all your I's dotted and T's crossed. You got all that stuff taken care of. You got all your accountants. You got all your bank accounts. You got all your portfolio. But there's something you have failed to consider. And that's the day of judgment is coming. That's what James says. And he speaks very candidly, very very forcefully right here. And he says, in light of this idea that Jesus is coming, you should weep and howl. That is the highest kind of expression of grief that you could put into words. That you should be so terrified that it would keep you up at night and you would literally groan in your soul. Because what's coming is going to be the most miserable day you've ever experienced. That will transition into a miserable eternity. And then he lists all kinds of stuff now. Here's why you will be harshly judged. Number one, because the way you treated people while you climbed the ladder. The ladder of success, you know. While you built up your wealth, you stepped on a lot of folks to get there. That's who he's addressing. Now, not all rich folks have done that. I have to admit, I've met some rich folks that have been some of the most generous people in my life. But for the most part, that's not the way it happens. You know what I'm talking about. And he says, you've been corrupt in how you dealt with people. Therefore, your wealth, it's it's just absolutely tainted. It's tainted. It's, It's ruined. It's corrupted. And all your luxuries will be destroyed. It's a pretty strong word, isn't it? And look, look at the wording that he gives right here. These phrases that he gives about all the things that's going to happen to all the accumulation of wealth that's happened that, that looks good. You know, we we surf the houses. You you watch the TV shows. Uh, Lifestyles of the rich and famous is what was when I was growing up. You remember that guy? What's that guy? Robin Leach was his name, and he had that beautiful British voice or whatever it was. And the lifestyle of the rich. It was just, and we watched the show. We watched it all because we admired it. But all that luxury, he said, all your riches are putrefied. When well, something's putrefied, it's just ruined, isn't it? It's just nasty. It just stinks. All your riches, putrefied. Your fine clothes that you got and you spent all this money on and you had them finely tailored and all that kind of stuff and you think you're looking good and dressed to the nines, you're good. All those fine clothes, they're moth-eaten. They're just ruined. Your gold and silver will rust away. All your, all your memories, this is your conscience, Your conscience will eat you up like fire to a piece of meat, is the way he describes it. Kind of what Jesus says, the worm dieth not kind of thing, you know, that that kind of idea. And he's not done yet. He says you've been self-serving, you've been greedy with all your power and wealth, you've made it a trophy, but on the day of judgment, your selfishness will stand as a witness against you before the judge of your soul. It's something to think about now. Especially if you've been blessed to any measure, in which we all have. So the indictments against them, see, this is the judge standing at the door. He shows up with the indictments. This is what's against you. You frauded people out of money. You've underpaid your workers so that you can overpay yourself. The cries of the ones you've taken advantage of have come up to me. I, I heard them. I heard them crying. I heard him crying about the heaviness of the weight you put upon them. And he said, and there's somebody you forgot. You thought you could take advantage of these people because you thought that they were weak and powerless and it wouldn't matter. But they have a defender that you didn't know anything about. And the defender is the Lord of armies. The Lord of Sabaoth is what it is. It's not a misprint. It's not the word Sabbath. That's what you look at that and you think, oh, they misspelled Sabbath. God bless them. They wrote that in the Bible. That's why I got that Bible for $10. (laughs) No, that's not what it is. is. It's the word armies. They just didn't translate the Hebrew. transliterated it. It's the Lord of armies, or we would call him the Lord of hosts. He will defend them. He has heard their cry. He, He continues with the indictment. You've lied, you've cheated, you condemned, you canceled people on your way up to the top. Does any of this sound familiar like what's going on from people in power? Does anybody want to send them James chapter 5 and say, Hey, y'all up there in D.C., you need to read James 5. There's somebody coming you ain't thought about. But we don't need to go to D.C. We probably just need to go to your house. Don't we? Somebody needs to hear it there too. Including myself. He said you lived in luxury here on earth. But your fate is going to be a totally different story altogether. And of course all this is pre- unless you repent. If you repent. Follow Jesus and correct your behavior. You'll be right. But the wording he uses right here is, is, is pretty colorful. He says you have fattened yourself for the day of Slaughter. You know how you do the cow, you know, whatever you're going to, the, the pig you got, the whatever it is, you, you, you fatten him up. So he's real good for the eating, right? That's the picture that's kind of painted that you have literally set up your own demise. Hmm. You treated people poorly, wrong. And that really matters to God. The judge is standing at the door. So what kind of lessons are we to learn, all of us, are to learn? Let's, let's read over these real quick. You can write a book about all this, to be honest with you, so we'll do it quickly. Treat people with love and respect. Be they rich, be they poor, be they black, be they white, be they yellow, brown, whatever. Treat people with respect because it matters. It should matter to you, but I can tell you one you need to understand, it matters to God. Be generous with what you have. If you've got millions, be generous with it. If you've got tens, twenties, be generous with it. Whatever that means for you, you be generous with what you have. Share your success with others. Don't just hoard it unto themselves. That's one of the things against them. They just hoarded everything to themselves. Learn to serve and not oppress. Live for eternity. This is a big one. Live for eternity and not just for the here and now. Jesus says things like, don't just lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but learn to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We need to find out what that means. We read it just a couple weeks ago. To to be rich toward God. Not just rich in this world, but to be rich toward God. That's a whole different kind of wealth. Another lesson to learn is stuff is not as important as people. Hmm, That's true. You may bribe the judges on this earth, but there is one righteous judge who you cannot buy off. How are you going to buy him off? He's got everything. Be careful because God doesn't miss anything. See, the judge is standing at the door. And while he's standing at the door, he's looking at the room of your life, my life. These rich folks he's talking about, he's he's standing at the door and he's looking in the window. And he he sees. He doesn't miss a thing. You know, we got these words and these ideas about these creatures that are in front of God's throne and they got eyes all around them. What's what's it telling? Are there really creatures that are there? They may look just like that. I don't know. That may be a literal description of what they are. But the message is, is God has people that work for him that don't miss nothing. They got eyes everywhere. Like your mama, they see everything. (laughs) Mama's got eyes in the back of their head. I told you that story before. I mean, my mama would sit on the second row at church and I'd be in the back and she could see what I'm doing and never turn her head around. I do not know how that woman did that. (laughs) God doesn't miss anything. He says all of our deeds are written in the books. What's the books? Well, does God really have a a book that he writes everything down? Well, the the message is, is that he's telling us God doesn't miss anything, good or bad. He won't miss the good you've done. I mean, you can't even give away a cold cup of water in Jesus' name without God writing it down and saying, I saw that. I saw you go bless them with that. Just something simple like that. Hmm. Another lesson, repent of your wrongs and follow Jesus and do right. That's important. So that's the warning. That's heavy. That's heavy duty stuff. But remember, the judge is standing at the door. So he turns his attention to the believers. Now, these, these are likely the ones, some of the folks that have been uh, uh, misab- uh, uh, misavowed and abused by these particular folks. So he, he gives some instruction to us that's filled with hope. And he says this, he says, I, I know it's been rough on you. This is my paraphrase. I know it's been rough on you. But here are a few insights that will help you endure and overcome all the injustices in this world. You know, you know the, the world's messed up. The world's full of sin, the world's full of suffering, the world's full of perversion. It's full of it. I mean, we don't have to go to New York City for that. It's it's right here. It's right here in our county. It's full of it. So in response to all this, what are we going to do? We're going to get a picket sign and we're just going to go down there and knock the windows out of something and just fuss and jump and holler and scream and act like we're wild? Oddly enough, he doesn't give us that advice. Hmm. Well, The first thing I want to share with you, at the bottom of the the chapter, he begins to talk about something about, in in light of all of this stuff, use your words in the right way. James has got a lot of talk about words, doesn't he? We talked about chapter three, about taming the tongue. And and in verse nine, James says this, I want you to know why you're going through all the hard times and it's not good. and, And it may, maybe life's not turning up real good for you. Do not grumble with one another. Do not fuss and fight with one another. Why? Now, why would he say to people who are going through hard times, watch out how you talk about things. Don't grumble too much at all if you can help it. You know why? Hard times put you in a bad mood. And a bad mood oftentimes translates to conflict with people. I saw a little graphic I sent to my daughter the other day. I said, it's not that I'm in a bad mood. It's just that everybody's annoying. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Anybody feel that way sometimes? <laughs> but hard times oftentimes put you in a bad mood. And he says, well, I want you to be careful while you're going through hard times. Put a guard over your mouth. Stop, stop yourself. Because if we fuss and fight with each other, the real enemy is not being addressed. And your energies and efforts are going towards the wrong fight. Hmm. And in using words properly, he says this in, in the last of the, the verse, verse number 12. He says, I want you to be careful with your words. Do not swear oaths to one another. Now, what's he talking about? You know, you, you hear people say things like, and, and you know, we, we've got to watch ourselves. He, he says, I, I want your word just to be your bond. Just yes. If you say yes, it just means yes. If you say no, it just means no. You you, you don't have to look at somebody and say, I, I, I swear on my mama's grave. Well, they we're doing some more intense and in, in, more intense stuff than this in the times of, the biblical writers and all that. I mean, they were swearing to the gods and swearing all this kind of thing. But he says, you don't have to do all that. Be careful. Do not use your words. This is what I get out of it. Do not use your words to try to manipulate people. Lord, that cut out a lot of our conversation, wouldn't it? Don't use words to manipulate people so that you get your way. Just simply don't don't have to smooth it. Don't have to preface it. Just yes and no. Jesus says that in the Sermon on the Mount. Hmm. So use your words properly while you're going through all the trouble. So James starts to talk about our favorite subject. He talks about patience. Everybody say patience. I'm going to need about 15, 20 more minutes for that patience. Alright? He he talks about patience. Verse 7 and 8, he says this. Read it with me. Therefore, be patient Brothers and sisters, I always say brothers and sisters when I see that because that's the, that's the spirit of what it's addressing in, in the whole congregation. Therefore, be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. So take note, there's that word patience. Have we heard James talk about patience before? That's chapter 1, way back a few months ago when we were talking about it. He talks about counting it all joy and being patient while you're going through trouble. So he's coming back to that same subject. Verse 8, you also, read with me. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Notice that he ties patience with this idea of the coming of the Lord. There is a connection. So what is patience? What is establishing your heart? What is that? That's like making a decision, putting your foot down. And saying, I'm heading in this direction. This is the way I'm going. I'm going to serve Jesus no matter. We say it like this, come hell or high water. I'm going to serve Jesus no matter. That's establishing your heart. is where you make a solid decision and you point the direction of your heart in a place and you go after it. And he says this, establish your hearts in the faith, basically. Hmm. Patience. What is patience? Tell me. Tell me, what's patience? Being able to wait. How I many have trouble with that? I did. You can't even talk about it. See, y'all can't even talk about it. What's the matter with you? <laughs> not being able to wait, you have no choice but to the wait. It's the attitude you wait with. Ha! Huh, that's good. It's, it's 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 not just waiting. It's the attitude that you wait with too. And most people need a lot more of. Yeah, some most of us. I won't just say, say them. Most of us need a lot more of it, don't we? Some folks just get on my nerves. Why are you still sitting at this red light? You understand what I'm talking about? Anybody like that? Nah. Anybody like that? Anybody over on this side like this? Anybody I'm living with like that? Okay, never mind. (laughs) I shouldn't say living with my wife. I should say, let's clarify that for the sake of the the people that don't know us and can't see where I'm pointing. (laughs) Lord have us. All right. He talks about patience. He gives us three examples of patience. And again, we could spend a lot of time on each one, but let's go through them kind of quickly. He goes and says, I want you to think about a farmer. You want to know what patience is? Think about a farmer. He says this in verse number seven, the second half of verse number seven. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early fruit. And the latter rains, That's the early rains, that's the rains at the planting time. The latter rains is the rains right before harvest that makes it just pop right out. You see what I'm talking about? So he says, basically, have the faith and patience of a farmer. Anybody ever done some farming, some gardening, some serious garden? Mm-hmm. you, you, you got to understand a few things. But now, see, patience, now we get the idea of patience. Patience is not just waiting. The farmers have got to work a lot. The farmer works a lot. Farming is hard work. I mean, I, I, went, I, I messed up and went on a hay farm one time. And it was hay baling season. And it just happened to be one of them years that a hurricane had come up. And we had some friends that lived in Summerall, Mississippi. And we drove up to Summerall, Mississippi to get out of the path of the hurricane that was coming. We lived in Gulfport at the time. And we got out of the path of the hurricane, come up somewhere on Mississippi, and them old boys were going crazy trying to get that hay in the, in, in, in the barn before the storm came. And man, you talk about, they were bells. They weren't the rows, they were bells. And, and you talk about, they had trucks that came in that were lined up, this is a big old farm. I'm talking about like 6,000 acre farm, it's humongous. And it was a big operation. So as quick as they come, the trucks came in, and I jumped in, I said, yeah, I'll help you. <laughs> Oh, boy, come up, preacher boy, come up and trying to hold. So I'm all day long, I'm, I'm grabbing and slinging and slinging to the next guy, slinging to the next guy. You know how much I ha- a, a hell of a, a bell hay, that's about what it was. <laughs> that's about what, sorry, little slip there. <laughs> you know how much a bell hay weighs? Well, after the 4,000th one, it weighs a ton, I can just tell you. You don't mess with no country boys. They are strong, I can just tell you right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Right, farmer. Farmers work. It's hard work. It's going to be hard work for you to be patient and to keep these things in your mind while while you're seeing what you're seeing. You got to learn to work and to walk by faith and not by what you're seeing in all this crazy world that's gone mad. So you work. That's part of patience. You work. You plant the seed as a farmer. You wait. And while you wait, are you just in there playing games on your phone, twiddling your thumbs? No, no, you're not waiting like that. While they wait on that seed to pop up, they're looking for weeds. They're checking temperatures. They're checking moisture. They're, 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 they're making sure the, the, the pests don't get the stuff. They're making sure the deer don't come and eat the crop. They're waiting and they're working while they're waiting. You see what I'm talking about? This is an idea of patience. Jesus said it like this. You occupy, you, you work, you work this occupation of kingdom work that I've given you until I come again. That's patience. That's part of patience. And you work and you work while you wait and you wait and you work and you wait and you work until it's harvest time, and then you reap the harvest. Now, what 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 if the farmer tries the rust process? What if the farmer gets impatient? And he goes out there and he digs up them beans and says, "Are y'all growing?" <laughs> What's going to happen to beans? They're dead, right? So, what does the farmer know? The farmer knows a few things that you need to know. I need to know. He he knows that his work is vitally important to the process, but he knows he's not the only contributor to the process. He also knows that God's work is important to the process. And in every endeavor, in this kingdom endeavor, there's your part and there's God's part. God won't do your part and you can't do God's part. But you partner together with God and the wise farmer knows in patience, if he works and he does what he's supposed to, he trusts God to do what he's supposed to, your part, God's part, boom, miracle harvest. Look at that. See what I'm talking about? See, a farmer, he knows something else. He knows how things work. He knows to trust the process. Do you know that? Do you know that you can trust not just the process, you can trust the God who oversees the process? Amen. Some of you have been dealt some tough stuff. Do you know even in your tough stuff you can trust God, even, even when you can't trace Him, you can trust Him? Amen. That you can trust Him in His process? You can trust Him? That's patience. That begins to produce patience in us. Why does the farmer do all this? All this working and waiting, all this patient labor, we can call it that. He knows that the reward is worth the labor. Say that with me. The reward is worth the labor. If you keep that in mind, the reward is worth whatever price I've got to pay. The reward is worth it. You keep that in mind. You will be a patient soul. It begins to develop in you. He he speaks to somebody else. He says, here's another example I want you to follow. This is a big one. Big shoes right here. The prophets. The prophets. Verse 10, he says, take the prophets. Put the prophets in mind. The prophets. Who are, who are the prophets? Name me some of them. Name me some of them. Come on. Who are they? Isaiah. Isaiah. Jeremiah. 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 Amos. Isaiah. Hosea. We don't know how that Mexican prophet got in there, but he got in that Hebrew book. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a preacher say it one time, and it's just stuck in my mind every time I hear his name. <laughs> That's all right. God loves all people. You know, he was Hebrew. Right? It's, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a bad one, but it's a joke. So you get the prophets. There, there's a whole list of them in our, in our scriptures and some that we don't even have names on. But, but think about the prophets. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Now, were the prophets well received? Not a one of them, really. Huh. In fact, Jesus stands over Jerusalem and he says this as an indictment over his people. He says, you are the people who stone and kill the prophets. Huh. But he said, I, I want you to keep the prophets in mind. Now, what about the prophets? Well, they continue to serve God and they continue to speak truth even in the face of extreme opposition. They continued in the faith. That, 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 have the patience of a farmer. Have the patience Of a prophet. Huh. Willing to sacrifice all for the name and honor of God. couple words. Endure and persevere. Hmm. So remain faithful even in the midst of an unfaithful people. That's the prophets. So we got unfaithfulness all around us. We've probably struggled with that in our own lives. But we got unfaithful people all around us. Are you going to fall prey to all of that unfaithfulness or are you going to stay faithful? See, that's the prophets. Are you going to remain patient, believing and knowing that Jesus will return? See, the prophets knew this. Say it with me again. The reward is worth the labor. And you know what the labor was for them? The labor for them was their own life. It was their own blood. But they knew that their own blood was even worth it. And that's a high price. That's the highest price a person could pay. Why would they pay it? Well, the reward. (laughs) And then the third example, he gets to our buddy Job. Anybody ever read the book of Job? It's quite the read, isn't it? You read the first part of the book and you understand it. The second part of the book, all that stuff in between is kind of tough to follow around. All the conversations between him and his friends. He says this about Job. As patience, I want you to think about Job. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. It's going to be an important word for Job to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, Job, he kind of has the legendary patience thing down, doesn't he? In fact, people say that, had the patience of Job. Well, Whew, that's tough. That's a tall order, isn't it? But he says, keep keep Job in mind. I want you to keep Job in mind when you're thinking about being patient and being waiting and ready for the Lord, all right? Job was tried beyond imagination. We don't have time to get into the whole story of Job. But Job in one fell swoop, one round after another, just a bad, the worst day in human history probably. Job in one fell swoop loses all of his wealth. And on top of all that, he lost all his kids. They were in a house party and a tornado hit the house, killed every one of them. Boom. Then Job loses his health. He goes through a health crisis. It takes him to his knees. His wife, she's struggling with this whole idea. Job loses all of his friends. His friends don't understand what's going on in his life. And Job is standing there in the darkness of the worst time of human history, probably, outside of Jesus. And he's standing there in the dark alone. But this is the testimony that said about Job. In all of this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. That's amazing. Hmm. See, that's that's a patient soul right there. That's a soul that's seeing all the bad, but they're patient because they know something better is coming. That's Job. He lost it all. He did fuss a little bit now. You get in the book of Job, he fussed a little bit. He fussed at the folks that were trying to accuse him of stuff. But he fussed with God too a little bit. You can't go through that kind of thing and not have a little bit of pushback on it. He lost it all. But Job remained faithful and received a double reward. See, this is what Job knew. See, you read the story of Job and you'll get the same idea out of it. The reward is worth the labor. The reward, and say that with me again, the reward is worth the labor. So what does patience look like? It looks like the farmer, looks like the prophets, looks like Job. Hmm. So, so how can you and I be more patient, more trusting, more faithful as we live in a perverse generation? And it is perverse and it ain't getting better. It don't look like it's perverse. They perverted everything. They perverted marriage. They're perverting gender and sexuality. They're perverting, they're calling good evil and evil good. Perverting all kinds of stuff. You just, you just turn your TV on and you just look at some folks that work for these folks. Just the perverted as you can be. I can't even say it right. I can't even say it in this building really what I want to say. Or, or even to describe them, it, It's ridiculous. Everything's gotten perverted. And we're living amongst a perverse generation. So how can you and I stay faithful amongst this godless generation you got to keep this truth in mind the judge is at the door the judge is at the door jesus is coming again don't lose sight of that fact that jesus will return and when he returns he's going to set every wrong right and he's going to reward everything that is right The judge is at the door. Jesus is returning. You want to be more patient? You want to be more faithful? Do not lose heart with the fact that Jesus will return. And it will be severe punishment for the unrighteous and eternal joy for the righteous. And you will choose which side you'll be on. So if you really understood this, if, if, if I really understood this, going back to the context of our 12 verses right there. If we, who, who would you mistreat if you really understood that the judge is at the door? What, what would you be doing? Who would you be shacking up with? Mm-hmm. What would you be drinking? Who, who would you be hateful to? Who would you be talking about and gossiping about if you knew the judge was really... See, we lost sight of this. We lose sight of this and we down spiral and we fall into traps and trouble and sin. So if you really understood the judge is at the door, what sin would you be committing? How would you manage your time and resources if you really thought and understood the truth, the judge is at the door? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. We get rocked to sleep by this world and all the chaos of it and just some of the business of our life. We get rocked to sleep. And I just thank you for this word from James. To just kind of shake us out of our lethargy. To say, hey, don't don't forget. Jesus is coming back. Just like he said he was. He's coming back. You don't worry about times and seasons and when. You just be ready. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that reminder. And I pray you'd help us to ready ourselves. Whatever that may mean for each person. Maybe you're here this morning and Or you're listening to us through Facebook or something, some other avenue. Maybe you know you're not right. Maybe you know you're far from God. There's somebody you hadn't considered in your life. And that's what James keeps calling the judge. The judge is at the door. Maybe you're here, you're not right with Jesus. You need to get your life right with Jesus. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Anybody here this morning say, Pastor, this is me or... Maybe on Facebook you can drop me a message and say, hey, that's me. I need you to pray for me. Say, Pastor, I I, I need to get my heart right with Jesus today. Anybody across the building? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I see that hand. Come on, everybody, just pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I believe that you died and rose again for me. And Lord, I give my life to you. Be my king. Be my savior. And with your help, I'll serve you the best I can. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning. Maybe you prayed it for the first time or maybe you needed to renew some things. I'd like to talk to you about it. Sandy and I would love to pray for you. I'd love to help you along your journey. And, and you, beloved, believers, listen. Do not lose sight that Jesus is coming. Don't lose sight of it. It's, it's, it's hugely important. In fact, the scripture says, he who has this hope purifies their life. They purify themselves. It, it's, it, it's huge towards our, our morality. It helps us stay on track. Amen. Don't lose sight. And see, because this world is so out of whack. How's it going to get right? The king's going to come make it right. We keep that in mind. You got it? And remember, the reward is worth the labor. Whatever price you got to pay, it's going to be worth it. Amen.